In today's episode of Rob Conrad Conversations, Laura Decker. I really don't like it when people say, oh, from this age, you should be doing this or um, you're allowed to do that because every kid is different. When she was 14 years old, Laura started a solo sailing trip. Knowing the feeling of, of panicking and of fear um, and how to handle with these situations because panicking is like really about the worst thing you can do when you're alone on a boat. <laughs> that took her once around the globe in 518 days. There were definitely moments where I, I didn't know immediately what to do or where I thought, oh shit, I can't handle this situation. Yeah, it's, it's insane and I don't even, I still don't even get the whole thing. Like how, it's just crazy. And made her the youngest person ever to accomplish this amazing feat. Join the conversation now. Welcome to Rob Conrad Conversations. Conversations with extraordinary people that motivate and inspire. Learn, grow, and impact lives. Subscribe now and hit the bell icon for a new conversation every week. Here comes the sunshine and burns away clouds like they never were. Hey, this is Rob Conrad from Switzerland, and today's extraordinary person is someone I wanted to talk to ever since I saw her documentary Maiden Trip a few years ago on Netflix. When Laura Decker was 13, she decided to become the youngest person to ever sail around this planet alone without any safety boats following her, without any fixed checkpoints along the journey, just her and her sailing boats named Guppy. Her plan was initially delayed for about one year as the Dutch authorities did everything to keep her from leaving the country, including questioning her sanity, threatening her parents over the, um, the schooling situation and even taking away custody, um, custody from them. Finally, with 14, a judge decided that she was able and good to go. So Laura went on a sailing trip around the world that lasted 17 months. I also know that she finds interviews annoying as hell. So I'm really happy that she found the time to talk with me today. Um, thank you so much for time and welcome, Laura Decker. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, it's um, when I watched um, the documentary Maiden Trip about your trip around the world a few years back, I was like, the first thing I was thinking, I was like, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, um, my main concern was to get as drunk as possible and <laughs> as often as possible. Um, so where was that, that wish coming from um, to, to sail around the world? A good question. I don't, I don't really know. It was just, I just really wanted to do it. I guess the way I grew up, because my I was born during the circumnavigation of my parents, and um, I just grew up on boats. Always been on boats, and I was watching their pictures, reading stories from other people, and then it was just one day when I'm grown up. That's what I want to do, um, and then I basically just started preparing for it because I figured, okay, this is a big trip. I need a boat and I need money. And um, so, yeah, from like the time I was eight years old, I just started preparing this trip. And then when I was 13, I sailed to England and back. And then I kind of thought, well, why, why don't I just go now? Why, why do I need to wait all these yeah. years? So I have a boat, I can go. So that's kind of how it happened in short. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, what's crazy is um, that comes out in the book, especially um, 
the authorities were really after you. I mean, it's it's in the in the in the um, documentary you talk about it, and you see some you know, snippets from all the court hearings and so on. But in the book, it really it's almost like in a movie. Like they 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 followed you and they they wiretapped you and they like they did everything to stop this. Yes. Yeah. It was crazy, and you know, in the end, it wasn't even about me. It was just this this huge case of childcare and how to handle these things and big controversy and I didn't even feel like I had much to do with it anymore um, because it had become much bigger than just me and my trip but yeah it's it's insane and I don't even I still don't even get the whole thing like how it's just crazy mm. so, so was it a few persons was there like a particular judge that just hated the idea or was it was it a panel of I don't know educational <laughs> people that, that just uh, didn't like it or Uh, with the Dutch childcare, mm -hmm. so there are two different parts to it, and they picked up on it, decided it was insane, um, and they started court cases. But that was already a strange thing because normally, when there is a situation, they'll put you on a wait list, which is like five or six years or something. And mm -hmm. I had a court case within days, mm -hmm. um, so it was weird and in a way i can understand that i think hey this is a strange thing let's have a look at it mm -hmm. um but then they didn't really look at it they just from the first thing they heard they decided it was insane and i shouldn't be allowed to live with my parents and that's what they kept fighting for mm -hmm. so they didn't look at the individual or at the case it was just yeah, I don't yeah. Know. So, so that's how it started with the child care and then but then the whole Dutch kind of government system got involved and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it just became bigger and bigger. <laughs> and, and what was the main concern? Was it about um, your safety or that you're not going to school or what was what's their main arguments in the whole thing? They, they didn't really, um, to start with, they didn't really have an argument. They just said, well, this shouldn't be allowed and, their and her parents are clearly insane and so she should be put out of custody and be put, you know, and somewhere else um which is the first thing they did my parents didn't have, didn't have custody over me anymore but i was still live, allowed to live with dad for quite a while there were stages where it wasn't but that's all a bit complicated and then um but no their their main thing was just that my parents were crazy and they shouldn't allow me to do such a thing um but of course a lot of things passed Uh, the schooling which I had already organized because I was going to do world schooling um, but also the dangers which it, it was very difficult because there, there were three judges and they didn't know anything about boats or sailing or anything mm. and I just got very strange questions about boats that I thought have you ever even seen a boat um, and okay. then these people whether I'm capable of sailing around the world or not so it It was just very weird all together. Okay, okay. So, but there, there's no law that that um, forbids a person of any age to sail internationally in international there, waters. No, in international waters, of course, there are certain laws. Like in Holland, uh, if you're under 16, you're not allowed to sail a boat over seven meters. So mm -hmm. my boat was seven meters uh, mm -hmm. that I wanted around the world and but then they decided that boat was too small so i need to get a bigger boat and then i got a bigger boat but then i wasn't allowed to sail it alone in holland <laughs> um so that's why 
at the in the end, my dad went with me to Southern Europe because the rest of the world doesn't have it as long. Um, mm-hmm. But no, there's no rules or anything against me setting sail. It was not that it wasn't allowed. They just decided it was crazy. And they even even after the um, a judge decided that you are free to go, they even followed you. The, the authorities even followed you, from what I've read. Right? Yes, but they, the whole trip they kept trying to stop me and, and be annoying. My my especially my dad and my lawyer kept having to fight, even mm-hmm. though already sailing. So it was it was just very annoying until <laughs> I was eighteen. It was this constant struggle of what are they going to do? Are they still going to do something? Um, yeah. I don't even know why. <laughs> so so turning 18 must have been really special for you. That Usually it's a special date for everyone, but for you it was like, ah, finally they can yeah. do anything. Yeah, because up until I was, I, my family still live in Holland. Well, my mom doesn't anymore, but she did at that stage. And every time I came back, I thought, can I come back? Can they do something? Can they come me here? Can I go back to my boat or not? And there's just this constant struggle, even though I had already sailed around, I'd already proved that I could do it. Um, but for them, it, it wasn't about that. You know, it was just this, that they became really bad in the media and they just wanted to think that's even why they started it. Because it's very strange that a child care would put, a story about a child into the media mm-hmm. and that's how it all kind of exploded and got in there um and i think that's that's just weird of any child care to do yeah absolutely absolutely and they are there to protect you <laughs> so, yeah so, exactly yeah. go out and say oh look at this kid it's crazy <laughs> yeah exactly Exactly. So, so for those who are maybe not as familiar with your story, um, it's not like you had this idea and, and never went sailing. So you basically grew up on a boat, more or less. You sailed from when you were very young. You you were competitive. Uh, you did, did like competitions and races when you were six, seven, eight, nine years old. So you had a lot of experience. So you were you were a seasoned sailor at that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I probably had more experience than a lot of people that go sailing around the world. <laughs> Um, it's all I had ever done I had only lived on a boat I was sailing every day it was uh, my dad was also really not worried about the sailing part he knew I could sail and handle the boat Um, he was worried about being on land though and with other people and that I was traveling alone as a young girl those were definitely issues that my dad was worried about but not the sailing yeah that, that was something i was say, um, thinking about myself my if, if my daughter would say i want to go on a trip around the world at that age um i mean you you're a very young girl a smart young girl but still a young girl and um it probably would have been easy if someone was really malicious to take advantage of you in any in any horrible way i guess um, um so uh, how, how did you discuss these concerns or or what was his way of thinking well, your way of thinking a lot because it was very clear to him that, okay, the sailing parts is fine. Let's discuss this matter. Uh-huh. Uh, so basically he said to never go anywhere alone, which is kind of funny, but I would anchor and make friends. So, you know, I'm not the only one who's sailing around the world. There's hundreds of people who are doing this. So generally I would go to a place where there's lots of other yachts and other people. I would go over and make friends 
and I wasn't allowed to go into town or go and land alone. I was, hmm. my dad always said, you have to go with somebody else. Okay. okay. And, and I, I did, you know, we, we talked about this a lot and he trusted me that I would do it. Um, and I, I did when I was going grocery shopping or anything, then that would go with friends, which is much nicer anyway. Yeah. Than yeah. Doing um, so we talked a lot about, uh, yeah, about these concerns and how I would handle it and that I would contact him as much as possible on, on land. So if I had internet, I would write him an email or Skype or at least stay in touch mm-hmm. and never alone, just be very aware of it. And yeah, I never had any trouble with it actually. Yeah, yeah, and the, the the sea part, the sailing part. I mean, technically, you you definitely were able to to uh, sail, but uh, the sea is the sea. I mean, there's always things you you cannot prepare for, I guess. And and you've had a few moments that you also write about in your book. Um, uh, did you ever discuss like the the possibility of you dying on sea? And and was it ever something you popped up, or did you just push that away and say, okay, I'll, I'll be fine on as long as I'm on the water? I think before the trip, I did think about that. And then I decided that it was absolutely worth it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then I would uh, do everything possible to not have it happen, of course, to prepare really well. And then the chances are actually not that big. Mm-hmm. Um, but even while I was out at sea, I thought about it sometimes. Like, what if everything goes wrong and something would happen? And I thought, well, at least I did what I really, really wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I think that's more important. Just uh, the other day I was reading um, a book about the guy who crossed the Atlantic in like the smallest boat ever, which was like six foot. It's just tiny. Oh, it's like a rubber boat. And he said the same, you know, or, or there was a quote in the book that said, you know, I'd much rather die out at sea than in my bed. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can lay safely in your house and do nothing but you can also go on an adventure and risk it and i do believe that with good preparation and sound mind that it's actually not that dangerous um (laughs) that's my opinion of course if you go and you know nothing about it and sometimes i hear people that are just navigating on roadmaps and just decide oh let's buy a boat and sail around the world that's maybe not such a good idea But it's, it really depends how you do it. My dad also, during the court cases, he said, well, I'm actually more worried about her cycling to school every day than her sailing across an ocean. Um, because I know she can sail and if she can handle the boat. But on the bike, it's dark. There are so many drivers that aren't paying attention, that are tired or just awake. or um, You know, and it's small roads in Holland. He said, I'm more worried about that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think he has a good point. If you're actually the, your worst injury was think, on land, right? Yeah. 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 You, you the, broke a skull, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. okay. It's, it's, uh, um, I think Richard Branson, um, said the same thing once because he's also doing all this kind of crazy stuff and his his family so the, the founder of virgin island i think i think he supported you during this whole thing and he said the same thing you know if we all do crazy stuff but if one of us shouldn't come back at least all of us know that they did no they 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 went away doing something they enjoyed and and that's yeah, yeah i agree 
Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you should go out and do reckless stuff. It's good to prepare everything well, but yeah, don't let it not. Yeah, I think it's still better than not doing it because you're afraid. Hmm. Was there any <laughs> moment where you said, said like, oh shit, that wasn't just that, that wasn't a good idea? Was there any moment where you said, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done this? No, not really, actually. Well, not that I can think of. Um, okay. I'm quite. I really I like organizing and planning things, so I had everything quite well planned and thought through. And um, yeah, I'm not a person who just goes and jumps around doing something. I'm generally rather over preparing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, but w what are moments where you were actually afraid? Um, not really in the sense of being afraid, having fear. There were definitely moments where afterwards I thought, oh, that was not so great or <laughs> a bit scary. Um, but not at the moment itself, because it, it's just a very dangerous thing to do when you're on your own, on a boat, um, to freak out, to get scared. Um, and it's something that we'd actually get trained, I guess, from when I was very little. My dad would when I was sailing in my little optimist, he would just throw it upside down and make sure I got stuck under the sail or have my feet tangled in a rope or something. Mm -hmm. And then he would see how I would react. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just practice knowing the feeling of, of panicking and of fear um, and how to handle with these situations, because panicking is like really about the worst thing you can do when you're alone on a boat. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And fear comes with that, of course. So it's very important to keep your head cool And there were definitely moments where I, I didn't know immediately what to do or where I thought, oh, shit, I can't handle this situation. Um, but still, it's more important to just sit down and count to 10 or sometimes you'd even just grab the guitar, play a song or read a piece of in my book just to calm down and, you know, keep your mind clear. Mm. And that, yeah, I'm really grateful for that lesson which my dad taught me not with this trip in mind but just because he thought i needed to learn that um so fear no okay afterwards and, definitely say it again please there were definitely moments afterwards where i thought well that was not so good or um, <laughs> okay yeah not at the moment itself yeah. Um, tell me a bit about the psychological aspects of being alone on a boat. I mean, probably it would be, and I, I, um, you wrote about that in your book, um, where you, there was a moment where it was really, it was the, at night, I think, that you could like see ocean everywhere. It was quiet and you really enjoyed that, you know, being with yourself in the stars. Probably my worst nightmare being alone somewhere in the middle of the ocean uh, with I don't know how many kilometer, kilometers of water under me and, and you know, all kind of animals I don't know. So I'm really not a, a sea guy. But you know, being alone for such a long time, how does it play any tricks with your mind or are you too busy to, to keep sailing? Yeah, I, I've heard so many stories of sailors, especially alone, who've had crazy things happen. Um, But I no, I didn't have any of that. No hallucinations, no crazy, no nothing. I just no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> and, and, the sleep and the sleep deprivation. I mean, you, there were periods where you didn't sleep for two, three days in a row just because you need the, the you know the boat the boat going. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's part of it. It's part of the sailing. You're wet and tired and salty, and mm. um, yeah, sometimes it's just really not nice, and other days it's really nice. Mm. Um, but mostly in those situations, I try to cat nap a little bit, so do like five minute naps, mm. and then kind of works. Uh, and other days you get lots of sleep. So it's not that the whole trip is like that. It's it's really just two or three days when there's a storm and you need to hand steer or things break that you need to fix. And then, yeah, got to stay away. Okay. So for, for someone who doesn't know anything about sailing um, like myself, so how does it work? I mean, technically during the nights, uh, how do you steer the boat? How do you make sure you're not running into any uh, other boats or container ships or whatever it is? Um, so I have a wind vane, which basically keeps the boat on course, just using the wind. So there's a blade that if the boat changes course, it gets pushed over by the wind. And then that's connected to a rudder pendulum, which is then connected to the tiller, the steering wheel, and it pushes it over. So if the wind changes direction, then the boat changes course as well. But in general, the wind is kind of the same. Um, so you go into the general right direction <laughs> um, and you sleep for about an hour. If you're on the ocean, mm -hmm. uh, closer to shore, it would be half an hour or 15 minutes or something because there's just more ships and reefs. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it goes. The, the boat keeps course mostly on its own. You just have to wake up every hour to check if you're still on course um, mm -hmm. and if there's other dangers and yeah okay and then, then i guess there are systems to warn you like radar and and that warn you of other ships and okay. yeah i had a radar um that could warn me of other ships but of course you can never trust it completely so mm. uh, i do know of people that sleep the whole night but i never did and i never would mm. to uh <laughs> plug my computer into the power sure it's a sure. complaint So this has been a few years back now. Um, how do you remember the whole trip? Is it like a faint memory that was, a, that was almost dreamlike or is it still very vivid and, and you look back at it a lot of times? It's actually, yeah. So the, I would say the whole period before the trip with all the court cases and the crazy things, um, that's more like vague dream something because so much happens in such a short time that uh, I don't know, it's more like a blur that is in my head and I guess I haven't really processed all of it. So it's, it's a mess. <laughs> um, but the trip is, it's very clear and vivid. And I, I remember all, every part of it really. There's even, if I have pictures on my computer of just water of just a particular wave and sky, I generally know which ocean it was or which oh, part okay. of it. Yeah. Um, because every, every day is different. Some people don't understand how you can just have blue all around you the whole day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those, uh, I guess. Like, yeah. But it's it's so beautiful and it changes every day and every ocean is different. And yeah. What was your biggest takeaway for yourself? What was the one thing that you would say changed you the most or that you learned from the most? Or um, I 
probably to accept things the way they are. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, with that, like the weather and there's just things that sometimes you can't change and then you need to live with it and make the best out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the fighting through things. I, I got more, um, I guess, like self-assurance that I was, there were definitely times that I thought oh, I can't do this, but I had to do it because I was on my own and you, you just mm-hmm. need to keep going. Um, you get through it and you think, oh, wow, I did manage to do that. Um, so doing the trip and finishing it definitely helped me to see, okay, I, I can do this. And um, it really opened my eyes to the rest of the world because even though I traveled a lot when I was little from when I was five or something, I just lived in Holland. Mm-hmm. So seeing other cultures and other people and how they live and do things really opened my eyes that I can just be myself. You know, mm-hmm. and I think if you grow up in one particular place, you're very, uh, it's very easy and you're very likely to get stuck in that way of living and people kind of all do the same thing and you really should be doing that or you're being put in a box. And by traveling and seeing all these different places, I, everybody does everything different. Um, so it's, yeah, you really get the chance to be yourself so much more and you think, oh, I really like this in this country and I love that in a totally different country. And you take all those little life lessons with you. Um, and that's, really kind of what formed who I am now and I like that because I'm yeah I'm very happy with it and I know I wouldn't have been happy to stay here and kind of follow what the rest Mm of my did nine to five job and (laughs) (laughs) two weeks of holidays a year or something like that so that would be your personal nightmare yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) um can you understand people who said that you might have been too young to do this? And do you think there is an age that's too young? I mean, you were 13 when you really started. Well, you, you started earlier, but 13 when it got more concrete that you're going to do this, I guess. W- would you say if there's someone coming who is 12 or 11 or 10 years old, is there an age that's too young? Or is it really depending on, on whoever has the plan and wants to do it? I'm sure there is an age that is too young because it's just not possible to gain the amount of experience necessary in that time. Um, and you know, I started really young to get that experience and trained every day. So probably my age limit is, is there, but then I wanted to start with 13 and did with 14. So can be, can be done young, <laughs> I guess. Um, I no, I don't think there every 13 year old could do it. And I definitely think that there are 11 and 12 year olds who could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it totally depends on the child on the person, on the preparation, on the determination, on the parents, on the way they grew up. There's so many factors involved in it. And I really don't like it when people say, Oh, from this age, you should be doing this or um, you're allowed to do that because every kid is different. And when I look at my sister with 13, she was so different from me with the same parents and the same way of growing up, but she couldn't do it. And my parents would have never let her go when she was 13. Um, so yeah, it, 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 every child is different. And I think people need to look at the, 
yeah, at the individual situation. But that saying, I can totally understand that people's first reaction is, wait, what? <laughs> um, of course. But then I, yeah, I don't like it when they make up their mind by that one sentence they read and say, oh, that shouldn't be allowed because she's 13. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not taking into consideration your experience and your background and your maturity that you had. So. That really hurt me. Um, but yeah, if people would say first reaction, oh, that's crazy. I don't think this is a good idea, but let's look into it and then come to the conclusion. Okay, maybe she can do it. Um, that would be very different. Yeah. And you were a really determined uh, girl. I mean, you uh, talk about how you were 10 years old and paying for your, not your first boat, but one of the boats that you wanted. So you did basically every every job on the side that you can do as a 10-year-old to actually pay for the boat. So, so it's not like you're this trust yes. fund baby who just now just, just get a boat and, and do everything. So really, you had this plan, you had the determination, and you really worked for it from a very, very early age. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of my uh, growing up, I guess. My, whenever I wanted something, dad was like, well, you go and get it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, how? And he... It was nice because if he saw that I really wanted something and I needed help, I could ask for help. But if I was not doing my part on it, then he wouldn't help either. Mm, okay. um, and this book, I really wanted. So I worked very hard for it. And I think by the time I was 10, I had half of it. And I found a really nice book that I really wanted. Mm. And then he said, yeah, I'll pay the other half. And then you pay it back to me over time when you've got it. Um, so, there, you know, it, it, we always figured a way out but i did have to do it myself that was just his way of thinking <laughs> what would you say to someone who has a dream and wants to do something but is being held back by his surroundings or her surroundings so everyone's saying yeah you can't do that and it's you know you're not made for it and this will never turn out so how, how do, what should those people do i think it's always good to listen to comments and reactions of other people but say yourself, you know, if, if you think I can do this and somebody says, oh, you can't do it. And you say, well, why, why do you think I can't do it? And if they come with good arguments, you can think about those arguments. Um, if they don't come with good arguments, you say, well, I've thought about those things and I don't agree with it. Um, so yeah, basically don't be so stubborn as to just ignore everything. Um, it's, to listen to it but really stick to your plan and and don't let it turn you away if there's hundreds of people who say you can't do it think about why they say it mm -hmm. uh, and if there's good reasons behind it and in my case i did that and i thought no there's not a good reason they just they're just saying this from first impressions of the reading they're not looking into it um and for me that was a good reason to just keep going <laughs> Mm -hmm. I thought it all through in my mind. Yeah. And and the, the whole plan was really um, something intrinsic for yourself. It was not about fame. It was not about, you know, telling the world you're the first. It was really just, you wanted to do that and you, you did. So it just, you, you didn't, didn't cross your mind to do it for fame or something. No, no, not at all, actually. It was, it was a very big shock when it got into the media first. And it was all really negative in the beginning as well. So, mm -hmm. okay made me even want it less but 
Um, no, it, it's something that I'd wanted from from a very young age, just thinking that's that's what I want to do. I was very sure that that's what I wanted to do. And I guess for myself more than anything, just to find myself, to challenge myself, to to grow, to take that next step. It's also, of course, an age where you want to develop, where you want to find yourself, um, where everybody is saying, having some opinion, telling you something, but actually you just want to do your own thing. Um, and I think, therefore, it was even more special that I could do it at that age. I think it's the perfect age to do such a thing if you're able to. Yeah. after you finished was there a period where you had like a hangover so i mean you've, you've achieved your dream and then what's next did you fall into a, like this, an empty void of, of nothingness like oh, what am i gonna do next um no not at all actually um I've, i'm not a person who gets bored ever <laughs> i'm generally waking up thinking oh there's these million things i want to do what i'm going to do first um, <laughs> um and Like we were saying before, the trip wasn't about breaking a record or, or fame or anything like that. It was just a very personal challenge for myself. Um, and before I finished the trip, I had already achieved everything that I wanted to. Um, so I think after crossing the Indian Ocean, I had the feeling of, okay, now I've, this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, seen, I'd crossed the Pacific, which is something I really wanted and seen lots of different islands and countries and met people. I'd been in big calms and in storms. I'd gone through a lot of challenges for myself. Um, and that's really what I was looking for. So for myself, I had already kind of fulfilled that. And when I finished the trip, I, it was more another stopover or something because I had already decided that I wanted to keep sailing to New Zealand, which is another half time around the world. So it's like, okay, having okay. another stopover. Might as well just go on, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah it wasn't, yeah, at, at, especially at the time, it was not really the end of anything. Mm. Um, in fact, it felt more like the beginning um, because in some way the trip had kind of given me the building blocks that I needed in my life, the, the assurance that I could do that, that it was worth fighting Uh, for a dream that you have even when it's really really hard and um, yeah so I felt more like okay now that I've learned all these things I could really mm -hmm. do something or keep, keep going or something I don't know it was yeah definitely not the end of anything <laughs> so what, what dreams do you have now what's next for you I mean uh, so After the trip, I spend a lot of time doing presentations and especially going to a lot of schools and working with kids. And um, I wrote a book about my journey. So I, I thought a lot about, about my trip and what it meant for me and what I had seen. And I came to the conclusion that I learned a lot <laughs> from that trip. Um, and then I wanted to do something with that. And I was working with, with a lot of kids of the age when I did the trip and thought, man, I wish I could take these kids out on a boat to just like <laughs> throw them out so they can learn the things that I learned on my trip. So after a lot of thinking, I kind of came to an idea to start a school on a boat. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, so basically, I want to take students out on a boat on a big ship, really, and mm -hmm. and teach them the same things that I learned on my trip. Mm -hmm. Because I believe a boat and sailing is a really good platform to learn a lot of skills that otherwise aren't gained. And um, especially nowadays, everything is very theoretical. So everything we learn in school, it's it's all theory, and there's almost no practical stuff, which is really sad. And um, they end up with 17, 18 finished school and thinking, okay, I, I know all these things, but I have no idea what to do or what to do with it. And, um, and they're kind of lost. And I think that's, that's really sad because they have such great ideas and, and goals, but they didn't learn how to achieve that. So I want combine the theory learning with practical learning and just throw them out there and teach them how to reach their goals, how to live their dreams. Um, and yeah, I think a board ship is just the best place to do that. Yeah, so that's and my next goal. I want to, um, I've started designing a ship mm -hmm. that's purpose built for this. And I want to somehow get it built <laughs> mm -hmm. and then yeah, go sailing yeah. with there's the you've started this um foundation basically uh you have to plan to build a ship and there's a kickstarter campaign that people can support um yeah I, can I, talk I, a little bit about where people can find it and and what they can do to help and what kind of uh, help you need yeah so um at the moment i'm really looking for the finances the design of the ship is almost finished and now i need to get it built so i need a lot of money for it mm -hmm. um and I've got some sponsors. I got a. I'm working together with the Deutsche Bank, but there's still so much more needed, um, and I've, I've really only just started with it. So I've started a GoFundMe page, um, mm -hmm. donates or straight into the trust. Um, I've set up a trust for it mm -hmm. where the owns. Um, so there's a, we've got a Facebook page where there's lots of info, and I'm working on a website hopefully will be online soonish mm -hmm. uh which will be laura decker world sailing foundation.com mm -hmm. so, uh, that's also the name of the trust and um yes uh, spread the words just let people know um all little bits of help are great um mm -hmm. we need at the moment i'm doing most of the work myself so i'm it's it's just so much work because there's so many things attached it's really heaps bigger than my trip um, so even people who know of management or uh, media or things like that would be great um, because it's a lot of work to do all by myself. Mm. And where can people find the GoFundMe page? What's the address of the GoFundMe page? Uh, Call of the Ocean. Call of the Ocean. Okay. And the Facebook page is? Um, also at Call of the Ocean. The name Call of it is the Laura Decker World Sailing Foundation. Mm. So. You can also find it under that. Okay. And um, what about any like supplies um, and stuff that you might need from starting from life as They're always great. If we can find sponsors who, uh, you know, can help with the build of the boats, that would be great. So any materials for that, sails, masts, ropes, rigging, everything. We need everything. <laughs> so, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so definitely make sure to check out those pages and make sure to do whatever you can if you're into sailing and if you're, uh, if you can provide any help, that would be definitely fantastic. And I think it's a great idea. And I think it's really something that this generation is is missing in particular. And I've, I've talked to 
Um, some people recently also scientists, uh, teachers that went on television, they had their own shows and they all keep saying the same thing you're saying is, I mean, we are becoming so, so incapable of actually doing things. And there's just, uh, it's almost to the point where you cannot hand out scissors to young kids because they might, might hurt themselves. And yeah. it's, it's, it's come to this point. And I see this also here in Switzerland where you know, it's like, I mean, how are you supposed to learn anything? I mean, you know, we, in the past we used yeah. to climb trees and do things and you know you went sailing and nowadays you don't do it anymore and it's very protected and mm. yeah so mm. i want to combine that teaching mm. get it back in there yeah um, th th there's a sad backstory to that regarding your the ship that you sailed around the world with uh guppy if that's pronounced correctly i think guppy uh, uh did not make it no i because I started this new project, which requires a much bigger boat than Guppy, mm -hmm. um, I thought I would lend Guppy to an organization to sail with youth as well, uh, younger youth, just so she could do something good. I was thinking of selling her for a while, but then I wanted to keep her legacy and do that. But um, yeah, the organization that was um, that I did a lender to. Uh, just decided to put her on a reef in the Cook Islands. So, yeah, so she's gone. But the, the saddest thing is just the way they handled it. Um, for for months before that, already I was saying, you know, this is this is not the right way to handle things. And and why is this happening? I was seeing pictures of the boat where she just wasn't maintained, and thinking, what is this? Now I, I gave the boat fully maintained and she was in a much better condition even than when I sailed on her and they just didn't look after it. Um, to me, that's heartbreaking because the, the boat to me means a lot. She's my first home and I kind of, I, I see her as my friend. Absolutely. Often wrote we and, and people were saying, we, who's we? And I was thinking, well, well Guppy and me, of course. Yeah. The boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I talk to the boats and she really thinks she's just a big part of me. And I, I can't, I still don't understand how they could just, yeah, I don't do that to her. So not appreciate the boat for what she is. And I even got a comment after that saying, well, she's just a piece of plastic and at least the people are fine. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. So they didn't, they didn't value the, the emotional side of things with it. They didn't value the boat at all. And, yeah, I find that really sad because we had a lot of talks before that about it. And they said, you know, we would take good care of her and all these promises that they didn't keep. Mm -hmm. And so, I find so that, that she is gone, that they just, the way mm -hmm. they treated her, it's like, yeah, you know, she was my baby. And yeah. so, 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 so it crashed into a reef while it was anchored, or what happened to the boat? Um, they went to a atoll mm. i still don't really know why because they haven't given me a damage report or anything um but they anchored basically in a place where you're not able to anchor um okay. uh, on the ocean side of a reef and probably a squall came or the anchor dragged i don't know exactly what happened and she landed on the reef and um from the tracker that i've seen 
I'm pretty sure they could have gotten her off the reef the first day because she was kind of wedged in between rocks. But there was no hole in it because it's a really strong boat and they probably gotten her out. Um, but they, they just abandoned it. And no, that's it. That's it. I don't know exactly what they did, but it got smashed further onto the reef. And um, I'm not sure if it's still there or if they've taken it off, but it has been confirmed that she's just a total loss. There's, nothing okay. There's no way to, to repair it and fix it. No. no, for a long time I was hoping, okay, she won't be structurally sound anymore, but maybe we can put her in a museum, we can do something with it. Um, but I, I, I couldn't get in contact with me, with mm -hmm. them. They didn't uh, tell me what happened or what was happening, or I, I just didn't have any say in so that's yeah I, it's no. uh, very difficult yeah, yeah. No, it sucks to hear sorry about sorry about that sorry to hear that yeah, it must have been a very personal loss um so the um in the book you described that what you also learned about the journey is that um, it's the small things that really count, not the materialistic things. I mean, you you went along with very little, and you um, didn't need too much money basically to to do the whole trip. It was self financed, and you kept very. Um, what are the little? What are these little things that that are important to you? Um, many things actually, but but things on the boat that I really because Guppy was very simplistic, so mm -hmm. I, I didn't have shower or fridge or mm. um, a lot of electricity. It was just, yeah, not a lot of water. Mm. So these are things that even now I still really appreciate. If I can stand under a warm shower, I still think, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> uh, I still think about the water all the time if I'm not wasting it um, because I only had 150 liters of water on the boat. So it's like, okay, I need to be super careful um or having an ice cube in your drink or just being warm uh those are all, all things that i think most people really take for granted it's there or a bed that's just straight and not wet and salty um, i i love it it's so nice and um i was kind of afraid that it would go away and that it would all become normal again but i still I still really appreciate it. It's still amazing. And um, it is a lesson that I really wanted to keep down, to really appreciate all the little things and mm -hmm. to just be happy with what you've got. And the food that I had on the way was often not really great. I'm not a really great cook either, but <laughs> um, yeah, because I didn't have a fridge or a lot of storage. You just, you just kind of get what you get. And um yeah, I, I like that, that you can just be really easy and say, well, okay, we've got this today, that's fine. Um, not say, well, I need this or I need this. And you get to countries and they have totally different food from what we are used to. And um, I met people who were like, well, but I need this or I need this particular brand and I can't live without this. And I think, well, okay, but it's not here or it's super, super expensive to buy there. Um, and yeah, once you step aside from that, life becomes a lot easier and a lot more fun. Mm. There's a lot of new things that are actually really nice. 
you've seen so many different countries and uh, did you ever count how many countries you visited i'm sure you did no i didn't no? okay uh, a lot <laughs> <laughs> um what concerns you the most about the state of this planet i mean you went to so many different areas of this world and traveled around all your life um well two things first of all that just the, the way we are growing up now um not learning things that I think are really important. Um, becoming very impersonal. Um, but also we're in a very throwaway society. So if something breaks, we just say, oh, well, it's broken. We'll throw it away and buy a new one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that, of course, creates a lot of waste. It's also due to the fact that people are not learning how to fix things. And they don't appreciate really how much value something has got. It's just, we have so much and it's so easy to get things and to do things. And um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, that's great. I'm not against that. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not that we don't value it anymore and that we just throw everything away. And um, it's a huge waste. You know, often people will say, well, the planet is too small and there's too many people and there shouldn't be many more people. Mm-hmm. But I think, that the people who are living on this planet now are using probably four times as much as we really need to use, or maybe mm-hmm. even more. Um, and that's, it's such a waste. We're throwing away so much food and so much resources in oil and plastics. And it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, I find that hard, but um, there's a lot of factors that hang together with that, which Part of it is just not good education, not mm-hmm. learning to to fix things or to value things. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does freedom mean to you? Um, it's a good question, <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of changes from time to time. Um, in the beginning, freedom for me was really to, to just not have anything, um, be able to just not have anything that you need to take care of or be attached to. Um, but now I also think it's, it's really a big part in your own head, um, how you live with struggles or things that you have. So, if something you have is a really big burden on you, then that takes away your freedom. But if you've got something um, like a boat or a house or something, and you're really happy with it, then it's, then it's not a burden and then you feel free. So yeah, I'm not, uh, I think it has a, a lot to do with your own mental state and how you see things and value things and handle them. Um, yeah. It's funny you mentioned houses because I've um, I've talked to some friends who, at some point in their life, they they made enough money so they buy themselves like a nice little uh, holiday, you know, you know, villa, some some something in France, for example. And in the beginning, it's it's this freedom that they have to ah, oh, I can we can go there anytime we want, and, and then we have to, burden. <laughs> yeah. Then it becomes everyone i talk to says after a few years they, they, they get to hate it after a while it's just like the wife says oh we're getting there and i need to prepare the kitchen and need to we need to get the pool ready and then the, 
the lamp goes out and and then we are always afraid that someone breaks in and 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 it's just yeah, so so after a while, it's funny how how this freedom after a while turns into the complete opposite for so many people yeah. and yeah. and they trying just to get rid of it it's, it's <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's kind of what i have experienced at first i thought okay you just don't want to have anything because it's all just a burden but then it totally depends how you look at it or how you handle it and if you if you do have too many things, then yeah, that definitely becomes a burden. So it's, it's, I think it's different for everybody, how much they can handle and how much they can have. Mm. How do you live now? Do you live in a boat? Do you live in a house? Do you, have you settled in New uh, Zealand? Uh, or where, where do you live at all? In, it's, it's in New Zealand, right? Well, I lived on Guppy until the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm, <laughs> I'm just staying with family and friends mm-hmm. and hopping in between. Um, until I get the project all set up and hopefully have the boat build and go sailing on it. That's, that's the plan. That's yeah. launch. Yeah. But you, you, you couldn't imagine living in just one place for a longer period of time. It's, it's hard. <laughs> I think it would be very hard. I haven't really done it until now, but in New Zealand I did. I was in one place, but I was on the boat, so it makes a big difference. I, I do need to live on a boat. I am... Luckily, my dad lives on the boat. He's also still traveling around, so he's, he's still... No, he's still building his boat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but he definitely plans on traveling. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, when you... You said you met a lot of people when you, you know, were uh, coming to a new country and there's this community of people that sail around the world. Um, uh, how do you characterize the people who are making these kind of trips? Are, is it a lot of people that are, I know, running away from some something or have enough of, of their previous existence and for trying to find something else? Or, or is there any type or is it just a mix of, of different people? Oh, it's, it's a mix of so many different people. You've got... Um, a lot of retired people who've got enough money, who bought themselves a nice boat and are cruising around. Um, but I've also seen young families who just sold everything and decided to go sailing. I've seen um, much younger people like my age now that just decided, oh, screw it, let's buy an old wreck and sail across an ocean. And sometimes they even make it. <laughs> Um, they'll always um, I've, I, I there's so many different groups of people I would say by far the biggest group is, is retired people who bought themselves a nice boat and are cruising around but um, there's definitely also some younger families and younger people during it that are just kind of hippies floating around on their on their boats and uh, going from place to place, living really simple. Um, yeah, so it's lots of different people. Uh-huh. Are you still in touch with the people that you met during your trip? I mean, you, you you often spend quite longer periods of time with with certain people, and then you kind of they all went on, or you went on. Um, are you still in touch yeah. with? Um, well, with a lot of them, not of course, because I met so many people. Some people I stayed in touch with for a while, but then it faded. Um, and some people I'm still in touch with. So, yeah, yeah definitely made friends for a lifetime on the journey. 
um yeah i mean it's it's uh, really it's something i find incredibly amazing because I, I couldn't see myself doing any like anything like this because i'm i'm the kind of you no know, one place and i need my little safety and my box around me and and that's it so it's really it's really interesting to to talk to someone like you who is the exact opposite but it's it's incredibly inspiring also the way you you handled all these challenges and the way you handled you the way you organize everything from the beginning and from a very early age and and how you really inspire other people and especially young people to follow their dreams and everything um so i i always ask people uh, two questions people that talk to do two questions so the first question is um this is a series of interviews with extraordinary people so people from across the globe from all different areas of life um who do extraordinary things in one way or the other um, is there someone that you consider extraordinary that I might even talk to next? Um, yeah, I, um, Tanya Abby, she is somebody who inspired me from when I was very little. So she sailed around the world when she was 18, but a long time ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, um, she wrote a book as well, which is I think in English called Maiden Voyage. And it's uh, just so nice written. And I met her as well. Uh, so she's definitely somebody who inspires me. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who also really inspired me, but he's not alive anymore, so you won't be able to talk to him, uh, is Bernard Montachet, also a sailor. Um, and I love the way he sees the ocean. Same with Tanya. It's, uh, it's a connection with the ocean that I've also really felt. Um, and my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's always been a big example and always been by my side. So he's definitely somebody who inspires me. You really have a special relationship with your with the dad. So you can feel that from your book and and there's yeah. like the, the mutual respect and support is really something that I found amazing to, to read and it's really uh, I think it's rare to see this these days. It's... Oh, we we definitely um, you know we we don't agree <laughs> very often um, <laughs> and and we do have fights, but. Yeah, we have a very good understanding and we can talk about everything and um and I think that's very important and yeah, I really appreciate that. I can always call my dad even in the middle of the night and say, I am stuck here and can you help me? And he will. And that's and he can do the same. So it's, yeah, we do have a special one. Yeah. Um so what what are your next steps? What are you doing? Besides the foundation, um, what are you working on right now, uh, job-wise? Is it is it what? what? Um, so I'm kind of in between things. The whole thing with mm. with Guppy, and then I uh, the project kind of started going well. Um, I just thought, okay, well, let's see what happens, and then um, a lot of positive reactions came, and the funding went went ahead. So then I went to Europe and. Um, I was working as an electrician apprentice in New Zealand, but yeah, th- since the project kind of started running, I thought, okay, let's go to Europe and have meetings um, and see how it goes. So I'm really in between seeing where life takes me. Next. Okay. That's great. Um, yeah. Final question, Laura. Um, and again, thank you very much for, for um, taking the time and, and for talking to me. Um, what's your, your, final message to everyone who's watching this or listening to this what's the the, your, the message that's closest to your heart um oh, there's so many things but i think the most something that 
really keeps me going is um and and something i often write in my book you know if, if somebody wants a signature um life is a journey and not a destination and with that i mean that often people are doing something because they want to reach something or they're working their whole life because then when they're old, they can do whatever it is they want to do. Um, but they forget to live in between. So, um, you know, it's often it's the journey to get to whatever it is that you want to do. That's the most beautiful and where you learn the most. And it's very important to enjoy that. Um, so even, you know, my goal is, to go sailing with kids and teach them life skills, but it will take a lot of efforts um, and a lot of organization and things to do that. And it won't always be fun, but I, I do it really try to enjoy the work that I'm doing and um, I see the fun in it as well, because it's, I think it's very important to enjoy the journey. Wonderful. Laura, again, thank you so much. Um, if you haven't read the book, uh, make sure to get it on Amazon or any bookshop. It's called One Girl, One Dream. Um, make sure to check out the documentary, Maiden Trip. Um, also make sure to check out the foundation. foundation. I'm going to paste all the links uh, below this video somewhere. So please make sure to check out um, the foundation, uh, support it in whatever way you can. And um, Laura, thank you very much. I wish you all the best for your next endeavors, for your next journey, whatever that will Thank be you. or whatever it will take you. And it really was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Same. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for watching. And in a few seconds, you'll hear about the extraordinary person that I'm going to talk to in my next conversation. But before that, I need to ask you for your help. See, finding people who inspire and motivate you to make a change, that's what's most important to me. But to connect you with these amazing people and to bring you conversations that you will not find anywhere else, I need you to become a part of our journey. So please get involved and leave a comment below with your own questions and maybe even tell me who I should talk to next. And if you know anyone who might like this conversation, then please share it because I'm sure that they will like it too and it will help to grow this channel and to make an impact together. And by the way, on my website, you will find all current and upcoming episodes, including show notes and transcripts, background info, books and websites of my guests, podcast links, and much more. And once you become an email subscriber, there is always some exclusive content. So don't forget to sign up and I'll see you in the next conversation. In the next episode, Rob talks to Dr. Rick Strassman. In the early 90s, Dr. Strassman was the first researcher in over 30 years to be allowed to conduct medical experiments with psychedelic drugs. His groundbreaking research on DMT not only revealed fascinating truths about how our brains work, It also led him to believe that the drug is a gateway to another reality that traditional science cannot yet access. Rob and Rick talk about DMT, what he has learned from witnessing hundreds of psychedelic drug experiences, how he believes they are related to biblical prophecies, and much more. Join the conversation now.